recording has okay great sorry i was mumbling there because it said the recording has finished <laughs> i was like what's going on what's that speak up sorry i couldn't help myself uh our poor listeners okay welcome back el platy poor and jen uh, and i'm red and we're here to talk about uh star trek voyager season two episode four elogium um, wow, this has been a very long time. I don't remember if we ever introduced all episodes at all. Um, how is everyone doing? Good. Thank you. Um, I've just about stress-eaten myself out of the uh, pre-podcast grump I was telling you about. Oh, yes. Grumps. Jen? Good. I am also good. A little bit tired this evening, but um, fine apart from that. I think we might get through this episode pretty quickly because when I rewatched it, it went quite quickly. I don't know. It doesn't. It feels like it doesn't have as many scenes. I don't know if that's just a perception. It just, yeah. See, it felt kind of long to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I think I'm rapidly realizing, like, actually, I, I really do love like the later seasons quite, a bit, <laughs> like some of the characters in them. So I struggle a little bit with season two. I think a little bit. Who could not like the sight of? Who could not like an episode with the sight of uh, an expectant whatever species Kez is being lifted out and carried out bodily by her husband while she eats purple uh, flower petals? What's not to like with an episode like that? You've that both was... started looking at me as though I'm, you know, insane. Sorry. Oh, I think Jay's having some tech. Oh yeah, you actually cut out for me. It sounds like that was just me. Oh, I think that was just you. I heard okay. Jane. Uh, okay. Continue. Okay, well, before we do that hopping around version of the podcast, <laughs> um, the Roger Rabbit. Okay, Jamie, are you ready? Do you remember you do a one-minute summary? I know it's been a while since we recorded, but I I do remember. Although typically it doesn't take one minute, it just no. tends to end up with me being offensive in some way or other. But um, in in this case, it just seems like it. Uh, it's an episode about fatherhood. Uh, it's an episode about why you shouldn't, um, well, frankly, try to out-alpha a bunch of sexually aroused space slugs, which is the only way that uh, I can describe some of the creatures in this. And it is a, well, it is an episode about how you can beater your way out of problems, as evidenced by Chakoshi's suggestion the Voyager be submissive to the dominant alpha space sex slug. Very good. I think you got there in the end. <laughs> no, that was good. Thank you, Jay. Oh, and Neelix is in it as well. Oh, well, yeah. Neelix um, your favourite features quite a lot. Well, I'm trying to respond to him, not with aggression now, but with uh, ignorance, or by ignoring him. So that's the approach I took there. Anyway. With what? With submissiveness? Never submit to Neelix. I mean... So much of this episode speaks to that point. Um, so we kind of hinted at some initial reactions already, Jenny, but you said thought it was a bit slow. Yeah, Any other initial reactions? I don't like to be critical. So, I mean, I will say that I really, really love one scene, okay. which, of course, is Red's, one of Red's favourites, the very wise <laughs> Tuvok. Um, oh, yes. I do enjoy his uh, ruminations on fatherhood. So <laughs> So good. Yeah, I enjoyed that scene a lot. Um, other, probably I took know, a lot of the dignity out of it. You know, each to their own. I just, it's just, yeah, a bit, um, also disgusting. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I just, yes. Like, I mean, great job on the makeup and, and <laughs> I guess, and the acting, but like, Kess, oh, it's all revolting. Yes, there was one time where I was like, well, it's quite soon, so I won't get, uh, but physically, like, couldn't look at the screen because I knew it was coming. Which was easy. Bugs. Same. Jamie, your initial reactions. Uh, I thought there were elements of this episode that were quite fun. Um, as I said, I loved the scene in which Neelix can't take the fact that Kez appears to be eating everything uh, disgusting going and uh, drags her out bodily, uh, eating blue petals and stuffing handfuls of blue and purple petals into her mouth to sick face saying something's wrong with my wife. <laughs> um, I don't know. I always find that sort of moments of interaction and intimacy between Neelix and Kes a bit cringy though. I, I don't know why. 
Um, because she seems very, very young, and I'm his alien. (laughs) I mean, there is that, yeah. But his alien costume makes him seem like a bit of a sleazy old version of Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, Yeah, I think now now I've stated badly. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, maybe as a first time viewer, I think that when I did rewatch it, like in 2019 or 2020, Mm. perhaps I thought the same. But now I watched it so many times, I'm very. put into their relationship um but yeah i mean i think overall i i like i said i thought i kind of enjoyed it and um, i thought it was kind of funny how i guess at any point in your life when you're watching star trek and maybe you have to watch all the episodes but something will resonate with i'm just thinking about a lot of my friends who had to decide are they gonna have kids are they not gonna have kids i mean it does raise you know all these kind of and now i mean i'm a, a bit beyond but the kid having age so i was like oh star trek is still relevant <laughs> um mm. So, yeah, I just thought, and I thought there were a couple of, uh, yeah, as you said, that scene that you mentioned, Jenny, and the scene with Janeway and Kiz in Sick Bay. Mm. Um, they're kind of like touching emotional scenes between people, which which I liked. Could, could I take it down a level as well? Go Although not it. discussing I'm not that. editing it. <laughs> okay. God, I mean, you know, you made such a big deal out of that t- last time you said something that, you know, could have got you cancelled red um that is entirely fictitious for the record it's probably me that said something that could have got me cancelled i do like the fact that there is a hair off at the end between the skipper and one of the few other female members of the crew has a booth every bit as big and dominant as the skippers oh yes that's how you know it's real I can see it. Good point. Did not notice that, but and also I had kind of momentarily forgotten the end of this episode, which I also really liked. I thought that was a nice little like twist, which I won't say any more about just yet. Yes, and also it does lead nicely into the future, which I didn't really click until mm. repercussions for mm. their journey and how are they going to manage? And... Yeah. Okay, so should we dive into the teaser? Um, anyone want to lead us through the teaser? Otherwise, um, I'm, I'm good to follow your leadership as ever, Red. Well, we open with Jakote getting to the turbo lift and it opens and two people are K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Um, <laughs> shaka, wow, wow. I all knew that I was going to lead with that. I don't know why. The minute I saw them, I was like, K-I-S-S-I-N-G. <laughs> Jenny, you raised your finger. Oh, no, I was, I was just going to add to your little song with K-I-S-S-I-N-G, but not in a tree. In a tree. <laughs> yes. Um, and they look a bit embarrassed. And um, I think, yeah. Would, would you be embarrassed if you were caught by your CEO and his second in command snogging in a lift? Oh yes. my gosh, yes. Would you be embarrassed if the lift was on a spaceship and you'd been stranded by a wormhole the far side of the known universe and we're going to be stuck together for circa 78 years? Yeah, still embarrassed. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to get <laughs> my frames of reference. Where you've got some kind of CEO or that kind of a relationship. Well, I yeah. ju- I just struggle with That's knowing where the parameters of you know normal social interaction are. So I thought I'd ask the question. Would you be embarrassed? I don't know. Never happened to me. <laughs> oh, I assume you guys know because it's happened to you. <laughs> yes, I've been in space thirty-five light years away. Um, but then we go into, you know, I think they all exit the turbo lift, and it's uh, also Tom and Kez are with Chakotay, and Tom is just helping mm. Kez carry some leaves, green sour leaves or something. Uh, but well, that Neelix, is helping her carry those leaves. Well, yes, I feel like you might have a lot to say, but Neelix really loses it. <laughs> yes. What, what do you have to say about Neelix's behavior, Jamie? I feel as someone who looks visually like every specimen of the toxic masculinity I see manifesting itself in this scene that I do not have the right to comment. So I shall defer that right. Well, Jenny, you're married. To <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I mean, yeah, is he, he acts full sort of jealous and kind of possessively. And I, I think does it at this point, Kess makes a point that, you know, it doesn't actually matter even if he was interested, because it's about trusting her. And, yeah. You know, it's the age-old argument. <laughs> Jealous husband. And... 
Yeah, he, but he really loses it because he's like, you're such an innocent. And then like, I think it's just because he was helping carry something. And he said, like, Tom said, see you later. And she said, yes. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. later. Like, yeah, when, when later? That's not, serious... <laughs> yeah, that's not a serious conversation. That's just like mm. all talk. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, it's, it's, I guess, setting up. Well, yeah, there's a few moments of jealousy later on. Mm. Um, on the bridge, we see that the crew is investigating some strange energy readings. They've discovered some space-dwelling de- life forms. At first, I was like, what's the big deal about space-dwelling life forms? Isn't everything they encounter a space-dwelling life form? But I guess they mean they actually live and float in space as opposed mm. to like planets, other planets. Yeah, like how do they survive in a vacuum like that? Yeah. Like breathing nothing? Kind of yeah. an interesting idea. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, and in that same scene, we see uh, Captain Janeway and Chakotay discussing the challenges of relationships on their long journey home. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. This like throughout this one, that is I'd forgotten about that actually. There's this like weird flirting thing going on between yes. Jamie and Chicote, which is quite entertaining. Yeah, because she he's like, I we think we should have a policy and she's like, Well, I don't think we can really interfere and he's like, Well we're kind of in a different situation to normal Starfleet kind of mm. uh situations and Janeway's like kind of just accepting that eventually people will probably pair off, but not herself she doesn't have that luxury because he's like do you also mean yourself or something and she's like, yeah he's he's inquiring i think well yeah i mean there's 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 intent there and some small amount of smolder <laughs> nice word and i yeah i thought of the jc shippers which i think i've mentioned before the people that really wanted them to get together the, <laughs> the jc shippers but uh, to use a phrase that Chakotay used earlier, it's unlikely that Janeway will be conducting any indiscreet shipboard fraternization, because I think that's what he called what he saw in that turbo lift. Yeah. Um, it says something about she's still, because it's not that far down the line, she's still hoping for fiancé Mark to yes. be faithful. She's hoping to be back soon. And then we go to the disgusting bit. Yes! <laughs> Ew. In the aeroponics bay, Keth starts eating beetles. Um, just like without even realizing it, I think. Yeah, just a sort of natural desire to, which apparently is a a thing. Um, yes. Really, uh, for that species of alien, they do that. No, 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 no. Like, there's um, humans get cravings for weird things like eating dirt. Um, yeah, but not beetles do that. Well, it can be just a sign, apparently, of um certain diseases as well if you start craving strange things like beetles or hmm. grass or um slow I gin know. i don't know how accurate that information is i just read it somewhere i have <laughs> i've not really checked into it but i just like that <laughs> there is no source i have no source it's not this is a source free podcast so. <laughs> yes this is random thoughts yeah and- <laughs> Post truths. <laughs> it is. It is a bit sinister, though, and it's a completely different direction from where we thought we were going. For you know, we're going to investigate the space creatures, and also this is going to be about Tom Paris shaking it. Yeah, that's really true, actually. And so it was. It's completely unexpected. But when I was watching the mm. second time, I was like, I can't watch. Mm. And it's almost like she doesn't realize. And then when she realizes, she's like horrified. So that's almost mm. worse because you're like, well, <laughs> I don't know why it's worse. It's just worse. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I agree it's worse because, I mean, mm. you can imagine only suddenly realising you've got crushed beetle in your mouth. Mm. <laughs> yes. Purposefully putting it there. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, I just realised that we spent quite a lot of time on the teaser, so shall I delve into Act 1 a bit? Yeah, go Jenny. Here go, we go. Jenny. So, on go the bridge, Jenny. we're learning about the life forms. Um, they're similar to protozoa, um, but faster. No digestive and bigger. system. Yes, much bigger. Um, we have a porous outer covering. And then we're in Kess's quarters, um, and she's eating again, eating all kinds of strange stuff. Um, Neelix brings her flowers. And we're back. Yes, we're back. Sorry, everyone. But back to Jenny. Sorry to interrupt you. That's all right. After an initial blip. Um, so I think I was talking about Act 1. So Act 1, on the bridge, learning about the life forms, which are protozoa, but faster. They have no digestive system, and they have a porous outer covering. So they just have to absorb nutrients from the atmosphere, I think. Is that how they work? Yeah. 
Tuesday. I cannot remember. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to like move really quickly because there's not a lot of nutrients in the atmosphere. So they, it's well, a very like presumably uh, they're in space, so there is no atmosphere. Yeah, sorry. It's a it's an area of food poverty. I think would be the technical term uh, now. But yes, yeah, sorry. Back to you, Jenny. Um, in Kez's quarters, Kez is eating lots of stuff, lots of strange stuff. Felix brings her some flowers to apologize, and she eats them. And then uh, Kez is sharing with Felix that she can't stop eating. Um, and she's adding nitrogenated soil to her food. Yeah. So Felix wants to. I, I mean, I, I feel we should point out at this point that he doesn't just take her, he lifts her and carries her bodily, <laughs> legs kicking as she struggles to get away from him to try and get more. Uh, unusual foodstuffs to eat. That was actually a very funny moment. I only realized it after the second view, but I was like, that is hilarious. Like, yeah, you know, she's got those like strands of the plant in her like bath. And he's like trying to carry her out. Um, and when she's eating those two apples at once, did you notice? She's like, like biting from each apple. Um, and yes, when he was apologizing, when he was like, I just know men like Tom Paris, they're all over <laughs> the quadrant. I just thought, you just can't escape players. They are everywhere. <laughs> players can play. <laughs> there is there is a nice Adam and Eve reference yeah, though with the uh, the two apples, and we should also point out the fact that throughout the process of um, plumbing the culinary depths, Kez's look just looks more and more and more feral and terrifying, and it's reflected in her body language as well because her body language becomes quite sort of I don't like to say bestial but animalistic. Um, so it's it's quite yeah, interesting atmospherically, I think. She actually does a very good job, the actress in this. I mean, I always, I know not everyone loves her, oh, but I, like I always like her. Yeah, I, I enjoy her. Um, Jenny, what do you want to take us back to the bridge? Mm. So they're on the bridge, and they're still following and studying the swarm of life forms. Voyager begins to accelerate, even though Paris is trying to slow down. And then Voyager gets pulled in by the magnetic wake of the storm. Of space sex slugs. Yes, I didn't pay too much uh, attention to the technical aspects of this, but I think there's like an EM resonance field that they're kind of getting sucked in by. Um, so yeah, I I think any, I'm not, I don't have anything much to add there, just a bit of action, I guess. Uh, but it doesn't seem very perilous to me, I have to be honest. I'm not worried that they're going to die in this slug storm. But um, uh, Act 2, we're already on Act 2, guys. So I think Jamie asked for... Oh, Jamie, we've lost your sound again. What's happened? I muted myself. That's what happened. Could <laughs> I pose a question, though, Red? Would your perception yeah? of possible risk be influenced by the knowledge that the magnetic resonance was generated by space sex slugs yeah i think it seems less dangerous because because they're space sex slugs slugs, which we don't know at that point really that's true i don't know why i just was like i didn't feel like they were gonna die i mean at all anyway sorry no no point and i think they were gonna die but that's just me um yeah so in act two they're on the bridge uh everything is they have life support but actually a lot of i think things are going offline um they don't have impulse power but they've got the warp core but Chakotay doesn't want to use it because they might harm these life forms so does anyone want to explain what balana taurus came up with the tog scoop uh, yeah yeah no I, I, I know what you're talking about um it's basically a mechanism whereby Magnetic fields are generated in order to scoop particulate matter out of the way of the ship. I can't recall the precise okay. nature of the anecdote to do with the tar, no. um, but that was my understanding of the mechanism. That's good, because I think I got that my understanding was wrong, because I was like, that sounds a bit like when they play classical music to keep teenagers <laughs> away, and I don't think that's how it's supposed to I didn't to know work. we had tog in real life. Because, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if it was supposed to repel and how. But yes, scoop. thank you, Jamie. Hang on. I want to find out more about this tog yeah. scoop because I don't remember enough about it. Okay, well, while Jamie's researching, Jamie, <gasps> do you want to take us through the next scene, which is quite funny? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I've, I've, I've found out what the tog scoop is. 
It's a device used on the front of Klingon ground assault vehicles to prevent collisions with Targ herds. Now, what's a Targ herd? Oh, so it's like a, it's like a cow. Is it? Yeah. It's the name of the thing on the front of trains. It's like a cow, something. Cow herder. Cow prong. I'm I'm thinking of cattle prong or something. I don't know why. Um. Yeah. So I think yeah. Um. In the next scene, we're in sick bay. Uh, Neelix is panicking. Wow, he is again. I'm surprised you're not complaining about him, Jamie. I mean... He's a bit annoying. But the last time my better half started eating earth and random plants and beetles, I too was panicking, so I can sympathise. Apart from the fact that he's gone from I want to lock up my wife because she's talking to other men to my wife is eating earth and uh, plants and things like that. Lock her up for me, doctor. Uh, in terms of tone. Which... I think we can all get behind yeah, he, is perhaps not optimal. I mean, he's getting in the way of the doctor. It was quite funny, there but is yeah, that. Um, but, yeah. But uh, he eventually gets kicked out, I think, by the doctor. There is a fair amount of humour to be found in this as well, along with a fair amount of at effing last. <laughs> I did like. I think Jenny that uh, the doctor proposes that theory that she might be craving those minerals or things, you know, like because they're trying to mm. figure out what's wrong. And I did like her line, you can't mean my body likes dirt, because that's what she's, yeah. what she's eating. So Nice. Um, but Neelix is very upset that he's been kicked out, storms to the bridge, complains to Janeway. She's like just ignoring him, but clock, clocks on to the fact that uh, um, Kez is actually ill mm. or something. Uh, and actually at that point, the doctor kind of calls and summons, summons her to sickbay. Um, to because he's got a report on Kiz. Um, Jenny, do you want to? Oh, uh, yeah. I hope I got that part of the notes right. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I yeah. No, I was. Um, I was. I was expecting to um, jump in. Go for it. Mid act, but I'm more than happy to. Uh, I believe we're at the point where she's in Kiz uh, is in sickbay, um, and has taken over the doctor's office and erected a force field. Um, so the doctor suspects Kez is being affected by the erratic force field. Voyager must leave. Well, that's his recommendation. They need to get out. Yeah. Hmm. And the doctor has also found a strange growth on her back. Which, again, sounds a bit not great. <laughs> um, but yes, then I think they have this nice scene where Janeway tries to reason with Kez and explain what the doctor thinks is going on. But the doc- she's like shaking her head and Jamie's like, oh, do you think it's something else? Um, and please let me in uh, into the kind of force field. Um, I did like at this point, I think Kez, uh, Neelix is trying to also like plead with Kez and he's like, you can eat anything you want. <laughs> like kind of just let me in, which is uh, sweet. Lacking in understanding. Um, but Yes, completely missing the point. He's like, you can eat whatever you want. <laughs> there, might, there might be um, more going on here than weird cravings, Neelix. Yeah. Um, but Kes does lower the force field for Janeway. Uh, and uh, do you want to explain the scientific medical thing that's going on, Jenny? Oh, that Kes explains eventually. Yeah, at this point. So Kes actually seems to know what it is. He says that, oh, I can't remember how it's they say, elogium? Yeah. Elogium? Um, it's something that happens to her species once, um, and it's basically the time when they can have a child. Um, but, it, but it only happens the once, so she has to decide basically whether to have a child right now. Yes. It happens so, much earlier than it usually does. Yeah, so she's actually going through what, what Janeway characters are as, as a puberty, but as you say, it's actually a one-time thing. So suddenly it's like gone from being puberty to being like she has to decide this major life decision. Uh, and we also find out she's only two at this point, and normally they go through it like at four or five. I mean, our um, years on her planet a different length to human years. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I think she just ages much more quickly. Jenny, is that right? Because I think... Yeah, the way they seem to refer to it is it seems to be that they're counting in human years. Yeah. Um, but I don't I know for sure. Yeah, I think it is human years, but like, so they will only have a life of 
five years together, her and Neelix. Okay. Noted. I mean, um, I I struggle with this, but anyway, carry on. I'm just struggling because I want to be gratuitous. Well, I just it occurs to me actually that it didn't occur to me when I, uh, when I was watching this is that when they're deciding about what to do, if she's wanting Neelix to be the father, Neelix has a sort of humanish type lifespan. What what kind of lifespan is the child going to have? And if it's some kind of lifespan in between the two, um, that's a bit mental, yeah. isn't it? She's going to basically hmm. die when her child's quite young. Yeah. Also, is it is it ever confirmed in the episode that they are genetically compatible? <laughs> well, Janeway does raise the question of all that the, they don't actually know, but yeah. Um, okay, so I think we are we are moving along to Act Three. Um, so Janeway returns to the bridge to get an update from the crew and then in her ready room she discusses Kez's situation with Chakotay which I think again is actually quite a nice moment mm-hmm. we've seen um, and that actually yeah she does say it, they d- don't know if they're genetically compatible but this does raise a lot of questions and Chakotay's like well if we it's going to take us 75 years to get back we might have to <laughs> place the workforce to have a crew Carry yes, out okay, proactive forward workforce planning. Get an HR department. Yes, organize. I'm not saying that you know any HR department in any place ever should ever be tasked with managing the procreational refresh of a Starship crew, but I'm just saying that they would want to to make sure it was you know done in a risk-free way, if not humane way. Yeah, I mean, there's, I, yeah, I mean, it's kind of insane to think you have to replace your workforce by having children. And then, like, Jamie's like, well, what life are we bringing them into? And I just wish all parents spent as much time thinking about whether they're going to have kids or not as the characters well, in this I, TV I show. I just think that Janeway's missing a trick here, really, because, like, there are alternative models that they, I think the Federation has already come across, like, there's an absolute peach of an opportunity to develop a Borg-style collective societal vision <laughs> on board Voyager and, um, you know, avoid the problem there that she's just inexplicably missing. Well, that's not really Starfleet style. I think you'll As Chakotay has said, it's a different situation and some might say it's a little bit blinkered for Janeway just to be thinking in terms of Starfleet Mores, given 50% of her crew are not Starfleet. And indeed, the couple who are causing all the problems right now are definitely not Starfleet. <laughs> okay. Well, yes, yeah. So they, as the kind of like, I guess, senior leadership team are having to grapple with this question that they haven't thought about before. They have an SLT? Um... Well, they, no, but I'm just calling it like the captain, the first officer, or whatever. The bridge team. Yeah, the bridge team, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, but then we go back to sickbay. I don't know who wants to take us through this, but this is now Neelix being confronted yeah. with this uh, option or choice. I mean, Neelix. I tell you what, I can't, I can't, um, I can't, I can't handle the, the back and forth. I, I'll, I'll go <laughs> act forward. <laughs> Okay, okay, but we don't tend to just do the whole act in one go because there's different scenes, you know. So, um, an act is like multiple scenes with different things going on. Okay. Um, yeah, so this isn't any different to, I think, what we've done before. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so in a, in a, yeah, so I would say overall, Neelix is like, seems a bit unprepared. He reminds me, I think, of a lot of modern dads. It's like, are you sure? Are we ready? Is this safe? I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I'd go a step further. He actively seems to want to not, um, which yes. I think yes. isn't necessarily typical of modern dads, says he. St- standing up for masculinity, all of that stuff. It's typical of dads who don't actually want the kid. Yes, fair enough. Fair I enough. say judgely. Um, um he does say bringing a child into the world is a huge responsibility. I did laugh. I don't know if you guys laughed when he was like saying, well, I guess someone will have to watch all the time. Make sure <laughs> like, I lo- yeah, like, I love the evasion. He, like, loses like, she's like, that's right. That's called being a parent. She seems to be like really, 
she seems much more committed to the idea and obviously he seems more evasive but then he finds out he does actually have 50 hours to decide and so he seems relieved it, it, what huh say what so, uh well he finds out a bit more about the process that if they do make they'll be bonded uh, for right, six yeah. days yeah. they have 50 hours to decide because the windows i think this is yeah. called as dri- driving the narrative tension Yes, exactly. That's nice. <laughs> I'm not sure if the being bonded for six days part might not be the most terrifying thing. Can you imagine being bonded? Did anyone else think it was, he was, a, oh, I mean, when he was like, oh, so what's involved? And then she's like, we have to be bonded for six days. I feel like his expression was like, okay. Yeah. I don't know, I she's starting to behave and her body language is a bit insectoid. And I'm sort of imagining them in some sort of weird hive situation, like the queen from Alien. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm just uh, not imagining <laughs> anything. That's yeah. As I told you before, people at Voyager don't have any sex. I don't know yeah. if we've skipped over the more disgusting parts of this as well, like where she's got some weird mucus on her hand. It comes out of her forehead. And she's like... It's she's yellow. Wetting and yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, makeup did a great job. <laughs> yeah. I, I think do... we're meant to be slightly disgusted by it. <laughs> so I think this is a good job. Yeah, it doesn't really... It's really more about the childbearing <laughs> than anything this else. This is not about sex. It's a mid-90s production. Yeah. There cannot be sex. And also, I don't know, I had this thought at some point when I saw her, she looks like she's really suffering and she's sweating. I was like, wow, this really seems to put menopause oh, in perspective. Because, <laughs> you know, menopause is get a lot, gets a lot of, um, I don't know, screen time <laughs> at the moment. Um and I was like, wow, this looks pretty intense. Yes. Um, but then we have this nice scene in the mess hall where Tuvok arrives for lunch and begrudgingly accepts whatever Nina has to offer. <laughs> and then Nina goes over to him and is, is like, what's it like being a father? That's true. And it's it's a very deep and almost intimate scene because I, I think Tuvok takes one look at Neelix and sort of sees through him. But almost in seeing through his anxiety, he also sees through to a slightly deeper place where actually he's sort of secretly thrilled by the prospect, I think. Or, or at least Neelix is of the possibility of being a father. Or at least I get that impression. Yeah, I think, I mean, he definitely sees through Neelix. Um... Uh, and he's like, I can only tell you that you've, if you have doubts, you shouldn't do it. But it's also very, very mm. rewarding. Um, and then I don't know what you thought, Jenny, but Neelix just assumes that he yeah. have a boy. He hasn't even have an awful lot to tell a, a boy. What if it's a girl? And 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 Tuvok's like, why would you treat her any differently? And her having a father is very <laughs> valuable to her. Um, I don't know how you felt about Neelix's assumption there. Vastly sexist. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was a good response from Tuvok, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I did really like the scene. So I don't know why. I just, I mean, I I feel like Tuvok was just answering Neelix's questions based on his own personal experiences, which is, um, you know, what you'd expect from Tuvok. Um, and uh, it was interesting though. It, the, the answer started out with, uh, "If you have any doubts at all, you shouldn't mm. do it." And the, and at the and somehow at the end of this conversation, Neelix is come round to the idea <laughs> like this is like the exact opposite of the advice you were given number one piece of advice which is quite funny mm. um but um no i don't know i guess i just enjoyed um uh the, the reflections on fatherhood from Tuvok. yeah oh yeah we find out actually he has four children three boys and a girl no wonder he's so happy being the far side of the galaxy would be the typical joke to make <laughs> Oh, he did say it. He was, you can see he's sad that he's not. Mm-hmm. He's so far away from them. Um, so that is nice. Then we go back to the bridge and they're ready to initiate some kind of inv- that tog scoop or inverted mm-hmm. pulse to try escape from the swarm, uh, which I think seems to work at first. Honestly, some of this just went over my head. But then the life forms start attaching themselves to the mm-hmm. warp nacelles and then they're joined by a much larger version of the life form. I mean, the like, much sexathon slug, as I mentally referred to it. I mean, I was like, why is it so much larger? Are these little ones partners for that big one, or babies of yeah, the big well, one? Everyone seems to be mm. 
leaping to the assumption throughout the various scenes coming that they are having sex with the big one as opposed to, say, feeding off it. So I would like to understand the reason yeah. for that assumption. I, don't I find it presumptuous. In this case, yeah, I, I agree, because I, your initial, my initial thought would be there it's babies. Mm, exactly. Okay, Jenny, act four, over oh, to no, you. No. Right. <laughs> I guess okay. if we want to just interject, we'll just put up our hand. Oh, I just interrupt. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interrupt me, interrupt me. I will um, strategically pause. <laughs> Uh, so, unsure as to the exact reason for the size difference, which is what we were just discussing. Okay, so they were also unsure. <laughs> yes, it wasn't just us. It wasn't just us. Um, Jane Witt decides to continue out of the swarm, hoping that the creature on the nacelle will drop back and rejoin the swarm. However, instead, the larger creature moves with them, generating an electrically charged plasma stream. And Jane Witt has to order to stop. Dodgy. Dodgy understanding of pack behaviours, especially when it's... Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing that was interesting here was that Bellana was like, let's destroy them. Jane was like, we're the intruders here. Let's just try it. She's still trying to problem solve in a more environmentally compassionate Mm. way, I would say. I love how um, Bellana plays the, like, typical sort of Klingon conflict side of that particular side of the conflict in this. Yeah. She's the uh, awful force, Mm. brute force. Um, So... Um, the crew realise that the smaller creatures are attracted to Voyager's emissions and theorise that Voyager has been mistaken for a potential mate. So those emissions are essentially, they, they, the, what the crew uh, likens them like to mm. is pheromones. Mm. Well, actually, I didn't really realise at the time, but I feel like all that research about pheromones came out around mm. this time. You know, when people were like, mm. oh, if you put your sweat on a guy, he'll Ew, like you. Oh, that never <laughs> <just> worked. <laughs> It was disgusting. Oh, I mean, the, the pheromones exploded and it's all to do like with the, your mitochondria and genetic match. So you're trying to match with people that are not too close. Like all those theories yeah. and stuff maybe came yeah. up. Did, did anyone on this call ever try that or have that done to them? Because, ew. No, but I read all about it and it was fascinating. that It was in one, one, one I read anyway, in mice. Um, they discovered that the smell... Um, was actually indicating to the mice that they had compatible immune systems, like immunohistocompatibility. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and it made sense. It was an evolutionary trait because it would um, they'd be attracted to those that would enhance their immune system, so their offspring would have an even stronger immune system than the two individuals that were mating. Clever um, little mice. Yeah, quite fascinating. And I have a mouse. But let's not get into that. I want to talk about Red's mouse. <laughs> I haven't seen it since I... I take it it's I... not a pet. No, I haven't <laughs> seen visitor. it since I got back, so hopefully it's... Occasional visitor. Occasional visitor. I'm like, no, no, shoo, shoo, I'm watching TV. Come back. I mean, Joys of London. we could lend you our cat when we get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, this is another reason to get a cat. Just one yeah. of the ten million actually, actually, our, our friend whose you? name begins with V has a cat that they would be very happy to kidnap from their street and give to you on a semi-permanent basis so it never invaded their house again. <laughs> I can't go to Surbiton and start stealing people's I, cats, I, You wouldn't have to do the stealing. The friend in question would, frankly, capture and uh, transfer the creature themselves. <laughs> yeah, because it's not the friend in question's cat. <laughs> Yes, I mean, if I it's someone else doing the stealing, are you stealing, things. Red? Really? You have a mouse? Come on. Less of the moral quibbling, more of the, you know, mouse eradication. <laughs> Jenny, I think you want to say something about mice. Oh, I was going to tell a little story. <laughs> yes. It might be a really boring little story, but it's just a very London story. Like, the first place I ever lived in when I moved to London was obviously, like, you know, a little bit, little bit run down, a little bit rough. And um, obviously had a, a mouse problem because most of them do. Um, and it got to this stage where we just sat, you know, in the living room you know, watching the TV after dinner. Uh, not only does one m- mouse run out from one corner <coughs> of the room, exact same moment, another mouse runs out from the other corner <laughs> of the room. They zoom across and they they bang into each other <laughs> in the room, squeak, spin around, and run back. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> 
this is the stage that it's got to that is the greatest story and honestly that makes me feel better because i never saw any mice for like the first four years that i lived here although the the previous people i found evidence of like mouse trap thingies but they looked like ancient um and then a few months ago i started seeing mice but well a mouse just i'll be watching tv and just see this movement and be like did i imagine it but they're kind of like using my passage as like a thoroughfare to like get from wherever they're going. So I was like, uh, what is happening here? Then I found I kind of found an area where maybe they had gotten well, I followed a mouse and saw where I got out. So I patched that all up and I got the I got the high frequency plug that plays the equivalent of classical music for mice to keep them away. And then I didn't see any mice again for ages. And then I'm just sitting on my couch. Oh, this is what just before I'm about to go to Cape Town. I'm just sitting on my couch with my head near the window and I suddenly see a mouse climbing up my curtain, which is like, <laughs> I don't because it was so close. I like screamed, even though oh, it's wow. like a tiny mouse. And then over, over like, uh, then I thought, this was like kind of all happening before I left. So, but then I, I got to the stage, it was just a few nights where I was like, okay, I mustn't scream because if I scream, then I lose all control of the situation and I need to understand where these mice are coming from or this mouse. But I got to the stage where I, I'll be just watching TV on my couch and it comes in and now I see it. I'm like, oh, okay. And then it runs under my, my Christmas tree. I'm like, okay, it can just hang out under the Christmas tree for now. But then it started like coming around the room closer to me. I'm like, no, shoot, back, back. And then it like runs back out. Um, Were you and my theory a was with cheese cubes on it. No, but my theory was, um, I did put out like this humane mousetrap, but I only had like one or two nights to like use it before I left. But I thought because I live alone and I just in the evening sit on my couch and watch TV that I guess it's like it thinks no one's around. So it stops exploring. But you live in a house, Shay, and that happened and two mice. So that makes me feel slightly better for some reason about my life, my lifestyle. I don't know why. Do you know what, Red? When you said, um, you know, you said you how you were, you were not going to scream. You were just going to be calm because uh, you wanted to see where the mouse was coming from. I was just imagining you sitting down to have a discussion <laughs> to understand where the mouse is coming from. Where it was coming from emotionally. Emotionally. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, anyway. Well, well, I think our relationship was approaching that level of intimacy, to be honest, because it was like, I'd be like, no, I'm in the living room now. You leave. You can come back later. I think we can all appreciate where the mouse was coming from emotionally then if you kept ostracizing it that way, Red. Well, I just also started to get into this like fear that maybe it was like a small rat and I was just relieved actually to see it was a mouse. Okay, right. I'm going I'm going back to the Yes, thank you. Right. That, that was that was a fun detail. <laughs> um in sick bay. Neelix shares with Kess that he wants her to be, uh, he wants to be a mate, and the father to the child. Um, but before they mate, Kess has to go through this ritual, so it gets even weirder and even, oh, yes. even still disgusting. Um, as part of the ritual, the doctor um, has to take the place of what uh, where her father would um, generally be, which um, would involve, massaging her um, feet until her tongue swells. Her feet. <laughs> yeah, just oh. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and again, there's a little hint of uh, jealousy from Neelix because he doesn't want the doctor <laughs> massaging Kess's feet. Uh, oh, very, very strange. Um, and then in the sick bay, the doctor seems fascinated by the biologic aspects of the ritual, um, which I guess is understandable from a sort of um, biological interest <laughs> perspective. Um, Kess asks the doctor whether she's doing the right thing by going ahead having a child. So she's starting to question things now. Mm. Um, and Kess was missing her father and so she's asking the doctor for his guidance instead, instead um, but obviously the doctor can only offer um, statistical you know, like, support programmable. Could, we, could we take yeah. a moment to appreciate the nature of the statistic support he gives her which is effectively just telling her about various species one of which if you get pregnant before 40 you're put to death was literally all he said about <laughs> yes. And also, I don't know, Jenny, he mentions the Breen, and I just remembered the Breen from Deep Space Nine. They're not great, so I didn't really pay attention to how often they procreate, but I was like, oh, the Breen. I can't remember them. They, they, because I watched the last episode recent, kind of, they like those, they like they have a helmet that looks like almost like a dog face shape, and they just 
help the I think they get employed to help the changelings like destroy Deep Space Nine. So the changelings destroy Deep Space Nine then, Red. Is that a spoiler? No, I'm just saying that they <laughs> want they need help to try like a spoiler there, Red. If it's a spoiler is like twenty years too late. <laughs> What was that, Jenny? I think if it's a spoiler, it's like 20 years. Yes, I mean, I can't, I can't be worried about that. protect the sanctity of the plotline at all costs and all causes, Red. We both know the principles behind which we okay, stood up well. to do this podcast. Okay, well, I just want to quickly say, in this scene, I just thought it was interesting when Kez admits that it was kind of easier when Neelix was so resistant. Mm-hmm. Did you... Mm-hmm. Uh, I just liked that moment because she was like, well, when he was blocking her then she really wanted it i guess because she didn't really have to make a decision mm, and yeah. now she has the freedom to actually make i think it's insightful it. how yeah the relationship dynamic within a couple is so orientated at the other's view and often it it, it sort of points to the possibility of losing one's own perspective if one is too orientated by the, the other party in exactly the way she says because because of the fact it was a not a decision and b just a case of overcoming resistance which was far higher than her own she wasn't actually really thinking about what she herself wanted yeah yeah and she almost i mean this is a very broad topic and something that i think about but sometimes i think people form their whole not necessarily like in couples but their personality or their approach just in opposition yeah. to something else mm. and not yeah. really making their decisions that are best yeah. for them. I think it's, it's it, I, from a, I can understand it as well, um, that feeling, because it's, I think, especially, um, what's the word? Mm. I don't know, I don't know the right word for it, but it, especially relevant, I guess, to, to women, because there's mm. an age point, isn't there, where you're start, starting to think yeah. of, you know, this is a decision I now have to make, and is uh, if I make the decision to have kids, is that because I actually want them, or is it because mm. there's the fear of that decision being taken away from me? Um, and I yeah. think this kind of represents that to some extent. Yes, definitely. Because yeah, I mean, she yeah, she says, "Am I just doing this because I can?" Mm. Um, which is another aspect. Um, mm. But again, I just have to congratulate her because she's really asking herself the tough questions before making mm. this decision. It's um, the most important thing, whether she does or she doesn't, isn't it? Yeah, because she's like, I'm not even grown up yet uh, and can't, am I capable of taking on such a huge mm. responsibility? Um, but yeah, it's a, a good yep. scene yeah. again. I think it's I also mean, telling that she's comfortable with the doctor being in loco parentis for her. That's quite yes. meaningful. Earlier, I think Neelix was like, why do you want him? He's not even human. And she's like, well, he's real enough to me or he's very real to me. Or something. <coughs> but in the middle in the middle of all yeah. this introspection, there is drama. There is. Yes. Jenny? So on the bridge, Chakotay suspects the larger life form may see Voyager as a potential uh, rival mate. Um, so they decide to initiate an impulse burst to try to escape. But this backfires as the creature becomes more aggressive. Yeah. Bumping Voyager. But, Voyager <laughs> it's power. it's interesting though because the the interpretation of oh it's a rival mate let's fight it off comes from Janeway, which is a very alpha and alpha sort of way of managing a situation. Um, oh, she yeah, <coughs> who proposed that. And it was funny how they went straight to that, which I guess makes sense. I mean, yeah. a lot of rival Jane, Jane, Janeway is particularly Peter. strict at saying, whatever we do, we're going to try and avoid harming this creature, which is going to butt heads with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Janeway, I don't no, know no, if no, carry no, sorry. on. Sorry, no. sorry, I, I jumped out of turn. I know there's a structure and I need to respect it. Oh, no, 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 that wasn't it. I just I, I am done. done. Sorry, I'm, I'm done. into I'm Act done. 5. Please don't hurt me. <laughs> so it's they beat me I'm after the episode if I don't follow the structure. If I cough twice, it's a call for help. <laughs> you, Jenny, you're in charge here. Okay, great. Wow, I'm doing Act 5 too. Oh, I feel so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jamie, you realise that the mute button is, is like a, a radio cough button. Sorry, it's there's it. a what? That the, the mute button can be used as the equivalent to a cough button on a radio recording. That's a good point. <laughs> I just heard him cough like I didn't even realize. Anyway, uh, Act Five. 
So still on the bridge, the crew debates the correct course of action, um, if there is one. They decide to retaliate in a similar fashion, i.e. bump it back, but it doesn't work. Violence never works. Chakotay <laughs> um, proposes it's time to change strategy. So um, in opposition to Balana, who is getting, I think, more and more irate and aggressive, um, showing her Klingon tendencies. Um, Chakotay wants to act submissively to acknowledge superiority of the creature. So Voyager decides to mimic the smaller creatures. Um, what they're doing is changing color and rolling over. Yeah. And I think uh, in this scene, Chakotay describes Voyager as a sexual rival, which I thought was hilarious. It's the first time for everything. <laughs> I mean, he, like Voyager, the ship. Um, so I thought that was funny. Yeah. I can't remember also how they, um, they basically came up with some quite creative um, thinking in terms of how they were going to mimic the smaller creatures by making Voyager appear a different colour. And submissive. Um, well, the rolling over aspect's quite straightforward, I guess. They just rolled Voyager over. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I did not make any notes of that. I think, like, blast some photons or torpedoes or something. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. Something like that, yeah. It was like a mm. purple or blue. Or, yeah. plasma, plasma steam. Something of that description. But can I, can yeah, I something ask like a question? If you're, like, Star Trek Voyager, the ship itself, right? And you're like apparently the baddest thing in the sector, right? How bummed out would you be if the first time ever that you got considered a sexual rival, you got made to act submissive and submit by your crew so that you couldn't be like the dominant starship sexual object of the quadrant? I kind of would be okay with that because I don't have any feelings <laughs> uh, as a Voyager star starship. Also, it's not a sentient being. I just thought it. Well, you know. Uh, okay, I think that purpose is to get away. Every ship is a lady and every ship is a sentient being, but yes. Oh, yeah, it's ships like, are um, ladies. Like Moya. Moya would be pissed. You know what I mean, by Moya. Moya in. Uh, what's it called? Sorry? Oh, what, what What? does Moya come from? Moya, Moya is yeah. a world ship in an early uh, 2000s slash late 90s sci-fi series called Farscape. That was it. Who, oh, okay. Whose name we have mentioned it's earlier like on this call. Ship. Not this call, but this podcast. Shout out to the classics. Wow. Astra Australian nice. characters in Australian <laughs> sci-fi. Absolutely epic. Have you? Yeah, yeah. Red, Red. This one you got to watch. Farscape. Okay, Farscape. I mean, it's it's hysterically funny on on a number of levels. Oh. Not excluding costume, cast, acting, concept, <laughs> plot lines, Australian accents in outer space, and oh, little yeah, little but it but not excluding those. But it is incredible. Creatures. <laughs> It does have comedy value, I would say. Um, and you said Australia. There's a lot of Australians in it. You know, we're, and okay. we're not going to call oh. it acting, but they're in it. Okay. Oh, well, I was, oh. well, I was about to be very mean about Australians. I caught myself there. Right. I mean, I have to edit this episode. Well, anyway. no, I wasn't saying Australians <laughs> couldn't act. Just the Australians in that uh, particular sci-fi franchise. I, I think there are lots of Australians who can act, like Nicole Kidman. She's very good. On that note, um, the creatures begin to detach from Voyager, and so they are able to move away from the life form without Earth issues. Hooray. I just have to say, this funniest line of the episode I thought was from Tuvok, where it says, It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain. I, I, <laughs> so, I disagree. I think the funniest uh, line of the episode is when the captain says, When I need to find out about mating behavior, I'll go to you two. I'll go to you, Chakotay. Oh, yes. Cringe, oh, wow. yeah, that is just blatant. Crazy. Come on, sexual <laughs> something, yeah. And what does Chakotay do? Um, yeah, smaller. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm trying to go for the uh, the American audience with my British accent rack on tership of the word smolder. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> That's a radio voice right there. Okay, in the mess hall, Neelix is preparing food and Ked, off Ked, Ked's offers to help. 
We find out that Kez decided not to conceive and that perhaps Felix is actually a bit disappointed about that. Um, Kez shares that they might have another chance though um, in the future as it was a false regime brought on by the life forms. Felix is very excited about the possibility of having a daughter. Uh, as, as is Kez by his insistence at Beard Daughter, she's touched by this and by his desire that it look exactly like Kez. Um, and she kisses him passionately when he says that. Yes, and I wasn't creeped out, so that's why I say I'm acclimatized. I, I was a little bit creeped out, to be honest with you, given the various lifespans, and the, and I wanted to look to look just like you. But I'll take it in the way in which it was intended to be pitched by the producers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right about the intention of, of it, but for me, I'm similar to Jamie. I, I find the whole, I want it to look exactly like you, and then he snogs her face off. <laughs> just, I'm like, what, why? So... I, I is he refreshing the workforce as well? Um. <laughs> or he's on board now. <laughs> to do that? Why are you putting that face? <sighs> um, Describe the face for the listeners. Yes, I can't even do that. Um, but Jamie looked disgusted, I guess. Neelix is involved. Um, and then in Jamie's ready room, our captain is completing the log. And uh, this is the li- I like this little twist at the end. Yes, um, it's like a precursor to you know future voyage as well. Ensign Wildman arrives, um, which actually I don't have. We actually mentioned her much in this. She, she's around in this. Yeah, she's around. She is on the bridge, and she is the one who uh, is kind of giving some information about the life forms right at the beginning. Yeah, sorry, that bit got, got cut out. I think because I mentioned it when we had that technical error. Um, but she was like giving you know details on the life forms and that they have no digestive system. It was like at her station where they were kind of um, discussing this. And then later on, I think she was proposing some theories as well about. Yeah. So they sort of brought her in. How it would react. So she was seen a few times before now. Oh, I think I just got cut out. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. That was very weird. You kind of like Mm. went and fast forward. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Right at the end. Oh gosh, quick! I gotta finish. Um, so anyway, she enters Jamie's ready room, seeming a bit flustered, and she says that she is in fact yeah. pregnant. Um, and Jamie offers her congratulations. And I mean, I think Ensign Wild was explaining that she uh, didn't actually know she was pregnant when she came on board, and it was supposed to be like a two-week mm. voyage rather than how many years it ends up being. And um, you know, uh, she she wants to have the baby. Mm. Um, I think this is a bit where I was a little bit confused. Is it that? Her husband. He's on he's Deep Space Nine. He's not on board. Yeah. He's alive. He's just on Deep Space Nine. Oh, is he on Does Deep Space Nine? something bad happen to Deep Space Nine that means that that implies death? No, I didn't. I'm not sure what time zone, timelines yeah. they're on. Um, but I think she's like, she does say he's all this, the baby, I guess, is what yeah. all she has left. Because they're so far away from home. Not- oh, I, yeah, um, you're right. That's what she means. I think I got the impression when she said, is all I have left of him. Made me think, oh, mm. maybe he's gone. But no, that, that, that's because they're stranded in space. So um, they're going to have a baby. Yeah, yeah. And, and to add to that, this is the moment where we have the bouff, bouffant hair off. Because <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen Captain Janeway's hair be bigger than it was in this particular scene. And Ensign Wildman's hair is, if anything, even bigger. I genuinely worry if they've got neck problems carrying those bad boys around the place. It's like two space life forms that are about to bump heads. (laughs) Yeah, the Star Trek version of Bill Bailey uh, realising that uh, he shares his head with a small creature that inhabits it called Archie, uh, that is his hair. Sadly, I do not get that reference, but hopefully uh, someone listening will. <laughs> Jenny, um, but yes, the only thing I want to say about that scene is I just thought um, Captain Janeway, why do I always forget the na- actors' names when I need to get, recall them to mind? Um, yes, thank you. Her face is just mm. so good in this scene. She's getting the news because you can kind of see she's putting the dots together. She's what does like, this mean? Oh, it just shows like it shows everything. It shows like she's absorbing this information from Wildman. It's taking into account everything they've just been through. The fact that they've been discussing this very thing. The fact that she's very happy for this woman. It's just all I don't know. It's all there on her face. Very good. Yeah. Um. 
So, Katie. Oh, yes. Very good. Um, themes. Any particular themes jump out at you or that you enjoyed? Isolation. Being a beta to get out of trouble. <laughs> Choices. <Just> Neelix. Puberty. <laughs> uh, oh, yes, puberty. Big hair. Really big hair. You only need to pick one. Maybe we've covered them all. I don't know. Probability of purple yeah, flowers as a food source. Okay, Damien, <laughs> cut your face. I'm, I'm, I'm committing I to think, this red. Yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, I think um, I just wish all human beings put as much thought into having a child as everyone. What you're going to say is I did into these themes. No, well, I mean, you just hear some stories and you're like, why, why did you bother having a child? Um, I have one so, already in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's behaving very responsibly, responsibly. So, um, thought that was good. Yeah. Jenny, do you have anything to add to Jamie's laundry list Ouch. of things? Yeah, well, I feel like I've been passed a bit of a poison chalice because Jamie's listed them all. I have none left. To oh, you can them. expand. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I mean, I, the obvious sort of one about um, give, procreating and whether to do it and what can, are you able to mm -hmm. and, you know, windows of opportunity to do it and it's a big decision and all the sort of pros and cons involved in it, um, you know, and that whole sort of debate. Mm -hmm. Um, reasoning from different characters. Really enjoyed all that. Um, it's all quite thoughtful. Um, and then there, there's a bit of sort of biology uh, or zoology, animal behaviour kind of stuff in the life forms. It's all quite, quite fun. Yeah, um, that's a good point. There's also space I, sex logs, which we haven't covered as a theme. I think there's more characters than <laughs> themes. I guess um, the whole um, like um, I don't know if it's a theme, but the sort of that didactic tale of you know in the animal world, um, you, you think something's attacking you, um, but it might not be attacking you. Quite often, it's actually just maybe defending its young, or mm. it's doing something to um, try to save itself. Um, so it isn't necessarily always the best response to fight mm. back. Um, yeah. Definitely. Um, this does remind me, but this is a bit of a tangent. I don't know, maybe it's like a satire account online on social media, but there's this guy who like seems to be promoting the idea that bears are harmless <laughs> and just want to be your friend. Please <laughs> let this be satire. Or if this is real, in like just a few months' time, there's going to be like, we're sorry to report that this guy is now dead. Because honestly, but my problem is that people might see this and think, oh, okay, we can make friends with the bears. No. I'm like, Maybe you, maybe you could land up having a very pleasant non-death experience with the bear, but that's just down to chance, not down to like. Oh, I don't know why. Why someone? I remember once I was at uh, in Zambia, and um, the hotel we were staying at had these giraffes that would just walk through the grounds, and some tourists went up to them and were just like petting them and standing behind them and standing. I was like, I don't. Think Did anything happen that. to them? I mean, they. No, nothing happened, but, and I guess they were in the grounds, but you can also get wild, like, maybe they are more tame, but I just think you should respect nature. So I, That's just my, yeah. I mean, I, I want to cuddle everything I see, just to say, but uh, I accept that I it mean, might eat me. I, when um, I was, like, eight, I went on holiday to Kenya, and one of the very first things we did was oh. go to a giraffe petting zoo, and it was the best thing ever. Oh, Yes. When I was in Cape Town now, sorry, we got, we'll get to Star Player. I went to this uh, like kind of animal sanctuary and they have this like what, like a few times a day, you can go into this monkey enclosure and then all these little oh. common squirrel monkeys or something just run all over oh. you. <laughs> or they just jump onto you as you're walking past. Obviously, there's like a guy putting food on his head so <laughs> like he jumps on your head. But they're so cute. So I'm, uh, I, I, I always I agree with you, Red, about the um, like observing it and it's... Um natural environment and not you know trying to hug it and stuff. but i always feel that way and when i go to richmond park oh yes. the deer <gasps> in rotting season where yeah. it's quite dangerous oh my god and in summer in particular you've got like crowds of people around them within two meters of them <laughs> yeah photos and 
and all sorts. And Jenny, I have seen parents let their kids chase the deer. <laughs> their toddlers and their five-year-olds or 10-year-olds, like they are like chasing the deer. Like I've just seen it. Like I'm just like, I can't watch. This is, this, this <laughs> can't end well. Well, yeah, poor dear, but also possibly poor child. If yes. Decides it's not happening. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I do worry about the general. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's okay because we come here to judge them all. <laughs> yes. Live in the idealistic world of Star Trek. <laughs> yes. Um, does anyone have a star player? I don't know if I. I'll have. I can think of one, but uh, I mean, I'll have to nominate someone, but. I mean, I think Kess puts yeah. up with a lot. I think hmm. the giant space slug does well. One of the few things to have a head-on confrontation with Voyager in this quadrant and walk away. Yeah, giant space slug for me. Good nomination. Accepted. <laughs> I think mine's going to be Tuvok. Oh. I really enjoy that little conversation. He has mm. bits about fatherhood. Um yeah, yeah. I think he's, and, and I feel like in later episodes, it, Janeway's a close second, but I feel like the later seasons we get down, like Janeway's going to be mine every <laughs> yes. episode, so I have to choose someone else right now. Um, I think Tuvok is a worthy nomination for sure. Maybe If only for eating Neelix's food with a straight face. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think this was a good episode mm. for Kiss. So, and um she did actually act at a moment so I was like wow she's doing a really good job <laughs> in her acting and as you said Jamie that kind of adjusting and becoming a bit more like as you said she's actually been, t- been taken over by this biological mm. process a bit more animalistic mm. uh, and kind of frightened as she's like losing control of herself and yeah she act- yeah, I will nominate Kez as my mm. star player probably write someone good yes she'll do a lot of work in that episode. she does she does but it was like they were kind of two strong separate storylines so it's like almost like it was not like just a focus on mm. one person which but she is good okay any final thoughts I, I i think we've done it we've we've smashed this one out of the park very good. And on that note, two thumbs up from Jenny. Um, I will press stop. Thank you and bye. Uh...